0: Okay, um, if you can hear me, go ahead and start taking making your way back to your seats. This may be a failed attempt, but <laughs> go ahead and make your way back to your seats. There we go. If you can hear my voice clap four times. Thank you. that was that was my kids and students over here. Thank you. All right. You want to do it again? If you hear my voice, clap three times. There we go. That's the PE coach in me. Um, Well, I loved uh, Jacob and Julie's prayers for these seniors. And like I said, I mean, we normally do that on a uh, student-led worship Sunday, but it's actually very fitting uh, on a Mother's Day to think of uh, those of you who have gone before and have done that. You know the the pain and the excitement of the moms that are about to send them off. Um, for those who have younger ones, uh, that may fill you with dread or urgency, or I'm not sure. I hope that it fills you with, that the Lord uses that to fill you with um, a certain amount of urgency, but that desire He's put in you uh, for your calling as a mom. And so, again, just so grateful. Um, I, I say this often, but one of the um, benefits for Day and Me as a young couple and a young f- family with little ones at the time, being in a life group with slightly older folks um, was great. Um, somebody asked, well, what was it like? You know, you sent your kid off to college. I mean, was it just awful? And they're like, well, it was sad, but it would be more sad if she stayed. I think that's a great thing to say. It's a ma- it's understanding the time you have as a parent is shorter than you think if you're younger and then, you know, it's also just an opportunity to go, wow, with the time he's given me, how will I invest in this little one, this teenagery one, whatever, to encourage them forward in what God has called them to. Um, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 16, we're, at, um, we're in a series called On the Way with the Resolute One. Uh, Luke nine fifty one is kind of a hinge in Luke's gospel. Because it's, uh, it's not chronological exactly, and it's not geographically like, you know, he went from point A to point B to point C to point... But throughout the gospel, Luke will pin occasionally on his way to Jerusalem. And what way Jesus on his way to Jerusalem was a cross. And that cross was the cost that needed to be paid so that we might have the free gift, though it was not free, cost him his life, but we might have the free gift of eternal life in him. And Luke says, the main verse in Luke, uh, his key verse is 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he did all he did. He did and taught what he taught his disciples on this journey as they're with him going toward a death they didn't understand and didn't want to buy into. They're like, we're your right hand, left hand men. We want to see the kingdom come now and we can be right there, you know, little vice presidents or whatever we are. And he's like, no, i got to tell you, you're right, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, the promised one, but what's awaiting me there is that I will be betrayed, suffer, be crucified, and dead, and rise on the third day. And that just blew their categories. But Jesus, just like I was talking about with a mom looking at, oh, I only have three years left with this kid, or seven years. Jesus, knowing he only had months with his men, because the Pharisees and scribes and other leaders had turned up their hostility and their schemes to try to get rid of Jesus. He knew his time was drawing short, so he said, I've got to invest what I have uh, with the time I have in these men before I go. And where we looked at last week in Luke 15, or two weeks ago in Luke 15, that's really the key chapter uh, in Luke's gospel, because it gives us the heart of the gospel, which is he tells three stories about lost sheep, a lost coin, and the lost sons, plural. And that, that this is God's heart for the lost. And he wants us to have that heart. But then um, this week, he's going to say, having that heart for the lost and knowing that our time is drawing short, how are we investing ourselves in everything he's entrusted into our care to leverage for his kingdom? That's the bigger picture of what we're looking at. I want us to read Um, The parable, some of yours will be entitled in your Bible, The Unjust Steward or The Unrighteous Steward or The Dishonest Manager, something like that. We're going to read this parable. And I want us to read it and then hear what we may not want to hear. But Jesus calls us to hear. He calls you and me this morning, just like he was calling his disciples at that point, to perk our ears and posture our hearts to receive his word through this story and live it out in our lives. So Luke chapter 16, verses 1. I'm going to actually read through 14. Luke 16, 1. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this here I, I hear about you? "'Give an accounting of your stewardship, "'for you can no longer be steward.' "'The steward said to himself, "'Hmm, what shall I do "'since my master's taking the stewardship away from me? "'I'm not strong enough to dig. "'I'm ashamed to beg. "'I know what I shall do, "'so that when I'm removed from uh, the stewardship, "'people will welcome me into their homes.' "'And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, "'and he began saying to the first, "'Hey, how much do you owe my master?' And he said, "...a hundred measures of oil." He said to him, "...take your bill, sit down quickly, write fifty. Then he said to another, "...and how much do you owe?" And he said, "...a hundred measures of wheat." He said to him, "...take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward, because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, "...make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness." So that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing, just pause there. Notice he's saying money is a little thing. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? Or who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of what, that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, I'll say it again, you cannot serve God and wealth or mammon. This is God's word. Oh. No, it's not all the way. Verse 14, I'm sorry. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Now, this is God's word. I wanted to make sure and include that because the Pharisees' response to what Jesus has just said and called them and us to is one that we on the outside would not have that uh, Expression, but we inwardly gravitate to, scoffing at what Jesus says here. So let's pray and ask God to give us receptive hearts that respond in obedience. Pray with me. Oh God, we are grateful for your grace in our lives. We have declared your goodness. We have sung of your forever reigning and that you've invited us into that. Even in the picture of that, the son who's blown it and squandered the wealth given to him, running back, but he finds the father already looking out on the horizon and running toward him. And we thank you for that picture for us. And Lord, we want to have receptive hearts. We don't want this to be a nice story time. We don't want this to be a history lesson. We want this to be living history for what you're calling us to in our present lives with a view to the future and the accounting that we will each give. Lord, that's not meant to be a scary thing, but it is meant to fill us with urgency, bring us back to what really matters. So do that now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my first slide there is, is just how shrewd We're going to look at the story of this steward and and the plight in his plan, uh, what I'm calling a short-timer steward. As we look at Jesus' parable here, this is um, one of the more difficult ones in one sense because we can get really jammed up on Well, Now, what's he going with here? And I'm not sure why. This guy's dishonest, but he's kind of seen in a good light. and We can get all twisted, but honestly, Jesus' main point is glaringly plain. And I want us to see Jesus' main point, his glaring point, and it's going to surface two questions that we'll ask in a minute in applying his main point. The glaring main point is this. You are a short-timer steward. You are a short-timer steward of his wealth, and he calls us, you and me, to be shrewd with it. You are a short-timer steward of his wealth, And he calls you and me to be shrewd with it. Let's look at the plight and the plans of the short-timer steward in Jesus' parable. He tells us, he says, there was a certain rich man uh, who was wealthy enough that he had uh, a house manager. Some of your translations say manager, some of them say steward. I'm not sure what else they might say. Um, Both are decent translations, but steward is, I think, the best because it involves manager, but it also takes us back to what it would mean then. See, this man was wealthy enough that um, his household and all that he possessed and all the business that he um, conducted, he needed somebody full-time, if you will, in our terms, a fund manager. He was kind of a Uh, a CFO and a COO all in one and very likely would have even lived with the household. That he's that important that he's there morning, noon, and night. He's managing the affairs of the household and he's managing and stewarding the possessions of its owner. He's not the owner. This rich man is. He's the steward. In fact, the word, we don't tell you many Greek words, but we'll tell you it's oikonomos. Oikos is is a household. And we get our word, I can't even say the English now, economy. (laughs) Sorry, oikonomia. It is a household economy. It is, here are the things that, here are the people that make up our household and here are the possessions And he had a steward, and this guy's plight or uh, dilemma is that somebody's been tattling on him. Someone has gone and squealed, and maybe for good reason. You could say whistleblower, you could say, hey, I'm gonna sidle up. Maybe I could, you know, position myself to become, we don't know, but somebody has accused him, is the word. Accused this steward of squandering the man's possessions, the rich man's possessions. This same word squandering is the one used in the parable of the prodigal son or the lost sons. When he went, he took, he said, Dad, I want the money and and what's, what's mine? And he goes off into a distant country and he wastes it. Spinning here and spinning there. He's living high. He's living like it's Vegas every day. And then he ends up going, man, the pigs eat better than me. Why? Because he squandered it. There was nothing left. Oh, He, he used it, but he used it in a way that was foolish. He used it in a way that, that honestly was putting him on the doorstep of death physically and brought him to a place of being empty, sold, well, here he's saying that um, Jesus is letting us know that somebody else within the household staff has said, hey, I just need to let you know, boss, your possessions are being squandered. This man is not utilizing them. Uh, maybe he's taking his own cut, a bigger cut than he's supposed to, um, but, but your business is in jeopardy because he is squandering your possessions. So I want to. Here's the. Here's the main thing I want you to hear, and then we'll, we'll walk through what he does. Which is, this guy's called into a meeting, so he realizes, oh, I might be a short timer. For those of you who have not either worked uh, in a shift job. Or in the corporate world or whatever, a short-timer is somebody who's already turned in their papers, so they're really kind of a lousy worker. You usually need to just get them, get them out of the building. Or they're really doing shoddy work on the line, trying to produce something because they haven't resigned, but they know they, they, they have a short-timer mentality. And that's what is going to be birthed in him as he's called into this meeting. Um, just in my own thinking through this story, um, I, I want to do kind of the office Um, There's some crude stuff in the office. It's not an endorsement. I do enjoy the artistic nature and the reality of it because I lived in the corporate world in the cubicles, and there's some pretty funny stuff Okay, because of how tragically real some of it is. But if you don't know the office, what they do is this film crew is supposed to be filming this office as it's going about its days, but they'll pull people aside for interviews. So just for a moment, just imagine the cheesy little corporate blinds behind me and I'm going to be the steward. Now, I'm not going to try to act, but I just wrote down in my own comments, like what, what's happening here is the boss has called him into a meeting. He knows he's been squandering his possessions, probably a good indicator what the meeting will be about, okay? But I just wrote it, I just wrote it. I wrote some things down. What would this be like for the manager's perspective if we were having him interviewed office style? I mean, he reported to this rich man, first of all. I, I know I report to him, uh, I'm I'm the man, I am the house manager I am the steward, and I've got the the job description and the pay stubs to prove it. I am the most trusted one, and I'm the one who ultimately all his possessions are entrusted to. Um, so he knows where he is on the org chart. He knows the weightiness of the responsibility, and he's called in for to this meeting. And if we were interviewing, he say, yeah, man, I, I mean, as soon as I heard there was this meeting, I was immediately nervous. My heart sunk. I started gulping. Um, and then, then when I sat in the meeting with my boss, what I heard was, hey, I've heard this about you. And so I start scrambling in my mind, like, well, how can I excuse myself? How can I look, make myself look better? How can, I, how can I explain the circumstances so I might come out looking good, maybe save my neck, save my job? How could I do that? But boy, as the boss started going, I knew, I'm toast. I know my job is, I'm going to be out the door. I mean, I can't, how can I do that? I I can't, gulp. And then the boss says, "Um, what is this I hear about you? I'm I'm scrambling. And then he says, "What? um, you can no longer be steward. You're fired, but give an account, give an account. You can no longer be steward. And so I just started scrambling. I'm sitting there in the chair and and I'm looking at him and he's right. And I've I've got nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. What am I going to do? I mean, I've got to clean out my desk. I've got the red stapler and a few other things to get out with me, but I got this much time. What in the world can I do? Because I look at my prospects and I think, Well, I don't. I don't want to dig ditches. I mean, that's not what I want to do. And I'm definitely too proud to to beg. What in the world can I do? What happened in that moment? If I could tell y'all, as a steward, as a short timer steward, is everything became crystal clear, because my hourglass had very few grains of sand left, and that motivation got crystal clear in a hurry and i said all right what can i do so that when i do walk out the door when i am removed that others might still possibly welcome me into their homes and so i was confronted that that i was i was a faithless steward so i had to have some kind of plan and i had to get going on it to leverage whatever i could with the little bit of time i had left to possibly be welcomed Well, If we interview the the boss, the owner, here's what my thoughts were on that. Hey, you know, I do have a lot going on. I got a lot of possessions. God has blessed me. Maybe he's saying that, maybe he's not. But I definitely got to have somebody that is overseeing all of this and managing other staff because otherwise it will go to waste. And man, the first thing I heard, my heart just sunk. But I also was just kind of... Ready to go just wring his neck because how in the world could he do this and hide this from me and waste my wealth? Who does that guy think he is? And I was like, get him in here now. I mean, the first thing was I trusted him. And then second, to hear that that he's he's not being faithful. Not only is he, not only is he um, not trying to lose it, he's not trying to gain it. He's wasting it. And that just infuriated me. I mean, he's squandering my stuff. This isn't just sitting around not doing anything. This is kind of an active laziness, a consequential disregard for my wealth, my possessions, which means it affects my security, my family, and my goals. And so when I heard about this third-party news, I was not only in disbelief, I was angry, I was embarrassed. It's bad enough that it became known by this other junior staffer, but then it festered long enough that that junior staffer said, "I got to tell you, this has been a while, I've got to confront. I have got to fact find. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, am I'm gonna have to fire this guy." And so I did. Yeah, I called that face to face, and I said, "Here's what I hear. Is this true?" And he couldn't. He had no answer. How do you think you'd get away with this? I won't be made a fool. You are out. But, as we're interviewing the boss, the rich man, he said, but let me tell you what this guy did. I mean, he was dishonest, he was lazy, he, he squandered my stuff. But man, that, that guy was savvy. That guy was shrewd because from the time that I sent him back to, to get his stuff and clean, clear it out and get out, he made a quick dash over the guy that owed, owed me some olive oil and olive oil is a pretty expensive commodity and this guy owed me a lot and so he told him hey change your bill cut it in half and then then he went to the guy who you know he was owing me some wheat he's behind and he said go and let's cut 20 percent off of that and these two are just examples I mean he he did a bunch more and so he said I have to I have to smile I mean is as angry as I was I Just for a moment, I I smiled. I had to hand it to him because look at what he did on his way out. Look at what he did with a really short amount of time before he was no longer going to be steward. He was shrewd. He was savvy. He was crafty. And he leveraged his little bit of time. And sure enough, those folks, they loved him. He cut their bill in half, 20%, whatever. So he could walk around town in glad hand and maybe even have a few options instead of being out and an outcast. Man, that guy's shrewd. That guy's shrewd. And I want to say the main point one more time because it's the thing that I think, especially in America, we don't believe. We are short-timer stewards. Moses prayed in Psalm 90. Teach me to number my days that I may present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, the hourglass is running down. The Apple Watch timer is going down. We don't know how much time we have, but the time we have every second, every moment, every season is a stewardship. But we are short-timer stewards, and this is the thing that we don't understand or we don't want to believe or we scoff at as Americans, even if we're Christians. The steward is not the owner. The steward is not the owner. The steward is responsible to the owner, but the steward is not the owner. And that's the picture that Jesus wants transferred to our minds, and he wants us to open the receptors of our minds and our hearts to receive that. Because we will not be faithful stewards if we buck up against that. If we think, everything I have, I've earned it. I, I, I did it my way. I, I, I mean, look at how hard I worked. And there are Proverbs. There's an advantage to, to the diligent. Yes. It's not in contradiction to that. But think about this. Anything we have. In fact, you can throw um, 1 Corinthians 4.7 up there, William. Anything we have, yes, you may have worked hard and there is, there's cause and effect. God put, put that in play. Work hard, don't be diligent. But if we think that any money we have, any possessions we have, any positions we have, any opportunities we have are all about us and of our making, we are deluded. We are foolish. First Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? The answer is, You ain't got squat that you came up with on your own. If you want to think about Mother's Day, you were here because a mother gave birth to you. You had nothing to do with that. I had nothing to do with that. And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, everything we have is a gift. Everything we have, any possession we have, any wealth we have, he is the owner God is the owner, and we are the stewards. And like that steward, though hopefully we, it, uh, it's not just a matter of if we're being faithful or not, he had a short time. Jesus is trying to let us know. Remember, live with an eternal perspective, but live within the time realizing even this day is a gift, and you might be gone before the day ends. What are you doing with what I'm entrusting into your care? Because what he commits and entrusts to us, he expects to be handled faithfully, strategically, and faithfully, meaning full of faith, trusting him, and open-handedly in giving it, investing it in his kingdom and his purposes. And so, are you thinking like a steward or an owner? Let's get to applying it. We're already kind of that direction. Um, Verse 8 and 9 says, uh, And his master praised the unrighteous manager or steward because he had acted shrewdly. That's the end of the parable. And Jesus says, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, he's talking about money and possessions, they will fail. They will go bye-bye, or I will be in a box and it will be left here. When it fails, if we've leveraged that wealth, that worldly wealth, in a certain way, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Let me stop here. This does not mean what you do with your money equals now I'm getting into heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's talking to his disciples who have already following him, Uh, By faith, He's not talking about that, but he is saying those who are my followers, those who name the name of Christ, those who have trusted me as my disciples, as my ambassadors, you are also my stewards, and I'm investing in you. I'm investing in you um, the mysteries of the kingdom, which he talks about elsewhere, like God's truth. Uh, I'm giving you the life, the relationships, the locality where you live, everything. I'm entrusting that to you, and I'm entrusting the wealth of this world. And all of those I expect that you'll invest for my gospel, for my kingdom, so that others may one day, and you may not even know that you're doing it. They may one day welcome you, give you a hearty hug, welcome you into their heavenly home and say, man, you didn't realize it. But when you gave that time to young young life, you didn't realize it that I was the the kid they thought had the least chance of ever trusting Christ, and you invested, and that helped that ministry keep going. And one day, that that one leader that had worked with me and was so patient with me, I finally said, hey, I give up. I'm tired of running from God. And man, to hear that sweet, sweet story and to know that almost unbeknownst to you, you were just seeking to be faithful and and invest in, in God's, uh, ministry opportunities that are put in front of you, that those folks will be part of friendships that won't be on the surface. They'll be eternal and lasting and full of great joy and gratitude. And so I, I have, uh, how much more shrewd are you? Verses 8 and 9. He, he, Jesus, uh, he's, he's commending, he's not commending his dishonesty, but the ingenuity and the shrewdness. The steward uh, did not try to justify his poor performance as a steward or blame his circumstances. But he said, what do I do right now with this time while it's about to evaporate? He recognized his need to prepare for his future. And so he gave thought to and executed a plan to better secure that future that he desired. And Jesus is saying, hey, my disciples or to us today, the sons of this age are that shrewd they, 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 they read good to great, and they, they study the trends, and they are, they are uh, looking at where, where is it that we and our company can have an uh, entry ramp into this you know, up-and-coming uh, business opportunity. They're thinking about it. They're strategic about it. They have meetings about it, and they give their time and their attention to strategic planning about it, and they get after it. And then they give an account for, how are you doing with those accounts? How are you doing at making contacts? It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you that they're better than we are at using wealth in the worldly framework. He said, but what I'm calling to you, and he's using a how much more argument. He's saying, since they're that way, and we know they are, and we're not very good at it, Christians, followers of Jesus, let's, let's get on learning how to be more the mindset of a steward, a faithful steward, a strategic and shrewd steward to utilize, yes, worldly wealth, what God has given you so that God's name would be proclaimed, so that his gospel would go forth, so that ministry would happen. And ultimately, we might be part of those who are welcomed well by people that were affected by that. In fact, you and I will be welcoming some people into our eternal dwellings. If we're in Christ, you'll be welcoming somebody maybe you have never known. You will be welcoming. You will be there because of God's grace and mercy, but God's grace and mercy extended through those he put in your life. And sometimes he got them in that path through those who were open-handedly and strategically generous with the wealth that God entrusted to them and into their hands. And so we have around here seven marks of a disciple. One of those marks is eternal perspective. This is simply a way to have a steward's mindset. It says, I see and align my life, my priorities, my relationships, and my stuff. That's wealth, possessions, whatever. In light of God's kingdom and his priorities. That's Luke 14, 33 is so he who does not give up all his own possessions cannot be my disciple. We said that doesn't mean go have a yard sale and get rid of everything. It means what he's talking about here. It means don't let your possessions possess you and don't let your possessions make you be deceived and think, I'm the owner of this. But have it open-handedly. Don't let them possess you and be glad and on the lookout for how you can invest, how you can give generously into God's kingdom priorities, purposes, so that people's lives will be changed. Tim Keller says this. He says, it's possible to give money while withholding yourself. I think all of us have done that. Um, we've given and we didn't really have a heart disposition to do that. Sometimes we've given like the Pharisees. Go, Let's make it rattle in the, the copper pot so people can hear and see. But he says it's possible to give money while withholding yourself, but it's not possible to give yourself while withholding money. In other words, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your, all your allness, it's not possible to love him with all your allness. And it not affect your wallet, it not affect your, your pocketbook. It's impossible. He says it in the, la- the, the last verse of the, the parable's application, proper 13. He says it's an impossibility. You cannot serve God and mammon. If, if we're serving God, we're loving Him. He is the authority, and He is the owner, and He is the one to whom we're giving our devotion and worship. It will spill out, even economically because it is a sacrifice of worship. Um, and we do that because ultimately, even the ability to do that has come from God. David said this as they, uh, he planned a worship service and, and they were just giving bulls and goats and sheep and just, I mean, sacrifices, um, lots and lots and lots and lots. They gave and they gave and they gave. And instead of everybody going like, Ugh. Man, why did I need to, you know, this is just a guilt. No, it was a joy, a burst of joy. And he, and he says this, the next two slides, First Chronicles. Both riches and honor come from you, Lord, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand, we have given you. In other words, picture, the owner hands to me or you, the steward. And from his hand, we've given back to his hand. And, and, and some of us are like, oh, you know what? I mean, how much am I supposed to give? We're not going to, we're not dis- discussing that today. But wherever that is, let's say you're going by a 10% Kind of deal, I, I you know I'm going to give 10%. You're going to give six percent, whatever that is. If you think about it in this story, the 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 boss man here, if he's using even that, he's saying, hey, you're my fund manager, make my money work, um, and you just give me 10%. You can have the other 90 to spend how you. Want. I mean that there are no terms in Dallas that that a fund manager gets the bigger share to use how they want and that the owner only gets this little bit. You know, it's, it's flip-flopped, right? And he's saying it's only, when we give, it's only because we've taken from his hand to give back to his hand. So the questions, if he's saying, how much more shrewd should we become no matter how we have been, the two questions are, are you squandering or stewarding? Are you squandering or stewarding God's possessions? And just to make it as simple and plain as possible, whatever wealth you have, you got $3, $3 million. The amount doesn't matter. It's the faithfulness that matters. Are you squandering or stewarding? Um, that's what he's looking for. He is looking for Faithfulness. A steward is not the call to perfection. He or she is called to faithfulness. And that's what will be evaluated. And faithfulness doesn't look like sitting on it. We talk often as elders. Um, I don't think Jesus' goal is, hey, if I come back tomorrow, that, that money you have, that you really, you just kept piling it up. And see, we didn't spend it. We were good stewards. Stewardship, some of it involves wisdom and saving, but but I don't want to be caught not having utilized what he's given me. He wants it to be utilized, maximized for his kingdom. And so are you stewarding or squandering? If we have the mindset of a short timer steward as his follower, we're gonna much more be shrewd in leveraging all he's entrusted to our care. The second one is then what's your plan? The shrewdness is commended. But if that was just what he thought up and concocted, but he didn't do anything, then it's not commendable. Shrewdness is what he's calling you and me to, but shrewdness is seen in action. It's, it's seen in strategic planning and that followed through with action. It's not intention. It's not wishful thinking. It's not I really wanted to get around to giving or investing um, in God's ministry. It is seen in action. And so the question he's saying is, when we do this, like this steward, he saw his future and the prospect didn't look good. And he said, I, I still want people to welcome me. I, I don't want to be ostracized. I want to, I you know, be welcomed. And the same thing is for us. That we can ask, what investments am I making in that which lasts? What friend-making, future friend-making Are you strategically investing in what the worldly wealth God has entrusted to you as his steward? Again, this isn't a guilt trip. This is an invitation into joy that overflows, like David said. And like any of us who have ever given and seen when it changes someone's life, you're like, where can I give more? And so hear his call Let's not be sneering or scoffing like the Pharisees. We may not want to hear it, may be uncomfortable, but the uncomfortability is to nudge us into where true joy, true riches really are found. And ultimately, Jesus is the ultimate steward. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 gives us the picture. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had everything. Yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, through through his poverty, might become rich. Ultimately, everything we have is a gift. And this is the greatest gift, but it came at the cost of him giving everything. And because of that, we can follow with a gratitude and a joy in response to his gift for us so that others might come to know life through him. I want to pray. Worship team, come up. We're going to sing and then let you beat the Methodist and Baptist to a nice Taco Bell lunch with mom. Let's pray. Father, uh, grateful for the opportunity to be together, to be in your word. Thank you that this story, we could do a bunch of gymnastics, but the point is clear that we are stewards of yours that you have entrusted to us lives and relationships, health or non-health, a neighborhood, an apartment complex, gifts, talents, and also money and wealth and possessions. And I pray, Father, that each of us would walk out of here and in this week, you just keep bringing that to mind, that the framework, the lens through which we are to see each day and each week, each task, It's through the lens of a steward and that we are short-timers. We are not promised tomorrow, so may we leverage our lives within each day you give us, within each moment, so that you might be on display through our love, through our sacrifice, through our attention to others' needs, and also especially through our giving because it's yours, and you said, go give it away so that my name, my son, and his name would be glorious and lifted up and others would be drawn to him. And one day, We'd have a reunion in heaven that is so rich. It's the true riches of being with you forever. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand and the worship team will lead us.